The following episode is brought to you by the American Urological Association. This special episode comes to you from an instructional course presented at AUA 2023. For more information, including how to claim CME credit or to view faculty disclosures, please visit the AUA University at auanet.org university. Independent educational grant support is provided by Estellas, AstraZeneca, Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, Lanthius Medical Imaging, Merck & Co., Inc., and Pfizer, Inc. So good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure to welcome you to this instructional course, which we uh, termed how to use PSMI PET CT scan in the management of primary and relapsing prostate cancer. And for this um, instructional course, I guess we have a, a great faculty. I invited Jad Maul. Um, probably everybody of you knows him from his prostate cancer history. And he was basically my mentor when I did my research fellowship back in 95 and 96 at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda in Maryland. Um, Jeff Carnes is uh, the other urologist who is in our faculty, and, and he is also well known as one of the world best um, surgeons with regard to radical prostatectomy. And he will give you a, a talk on the use of PSMI PET CT scan in patients who have biochemical relapse following radical prostatectomy. And last but not least, I will be the one who was uh, just pointed out to be the course director because I just filed in um, the program. I'm a professor of urology and a director and chairman of the Department of Urology in, in Cologne in Germany. I was uh, head of the uh, EAU guideline prostate cancer panel for a couple of years, and uh, my special interest is prostate cancer and it is testicular cancer. So um, this is the agenda. So as I uh, said, I will start with the background of PSMA PET CT scan. Then Judd Maul is giving his presentation on the initial staging tools in newly diagnosed high-risk prostate cancer, which is also a hot topic during the AUA if you look at the podium sessions and the moderated poster sessions. Jeff Kahns will give you an overview how to use PSMA PET-CT scan in the decision-making process on who is the best candidate for any type of local salvage treatment in patient with nodal disease. And I, I will give you a short overview of how to use PSMA PET-scan in patients with locally recurrent prostate cancer following radiation treatment and in metastatic hormone-sensitive disease. You are welcomed to ask questions during, um, during all the presentations or at the end of the presentations. If you ask questions, I would like you to go to the microphone because this session is also live streamed and all the people who might have joined us from external uh, devices just see the slides, but they don't uh, hear anything if you don't use the microphone. So if you have questions, uh, feel free to ask questions, but then please uh, use the microphone. And now it would be my pleasure to start with you, PSMI PET-CT scan um, in prostate cancer, just a general remarks about um, PSMA itself and why it is so widely used in prostate cancer. This is just one simple um, study demonstrating that PSMA expression on prostate cancer cells, even in patients who just undergo their biopsy, is associated with a very high risk of relapse 
for, um, after radical prostatectomy. And you can see the PSMA expression as a semi-quantitative analysis on biopsy course um, and the five-year relapse uh, the five-year relapse rate, it is increasing as the PSMA expression increases. And this is one of the background information why PSMA PET-CT scan is used or widely used, at least in Germany and in some other countries, in patients who have newly diagnosed with high-risk disease to stage patients better as with the initial or guideline recommended staging tools, which is a bone scan and a CT scan. Um, as I said, PSMA expression on biopsy samples is associated with a fourfold increase in disease recurrence, and PSMA expression is also increasing as the disease progresses. So from locally advanced to metastatic hormone sensitive to castration resistant disease, PSMA expression is increasing, and this is why we nowadays can use PSMA PET scan as a diagnostic and as a therapeutic approach, and we will come to this at the end of the disease. So this could be all the different indications for a PSMA PET CT scan. I know that the FDA has approved PSMA PET CT scans in the US, but in Germany we are allowed to use this type of uh, staging imaging modality since about five to six years. In Australia, you can get it basically at every corner, and it is used even in the decision-making process on who might has to undergo a prostate biopsy or not. PSMA itself, it's just an amino acid or protein which is located at the transmembrane border. It has a 100 to 1,000-fold overexpression in prostate cancer cells as compared to benign cells. And the ligand, so the tracer itself to make those prostate cancer cells visible, um, is uh, then works as an intracellular internalization after it binds to some coated pits, and then there is an endosome accumulation and an enhanced intracellular accumulation. When patients undergo a PSMA PET CT scan, the only thing you have to take care of is that they are well hydrated because PSMA is excreted by the kidneys. If the patient is not well hydrated, PSMA PET scans and PSMA-based treatment might result in renal insufficiency, as we know it from contrast material during a CT scan or an MRI scan. There is the renal excretion, so that also has to be taken into consideration, especially in patients in whom you look for locally recurrent disease after radical prostatectomy. There is a very high PSMA, at least with a gallium tracer, a very high PSM accumulation in the renal pelvis, in the ureter, and in the bladder. So it might be that you think there could be a small lymph node at, for example, the common iliac artery, and basically it's only the ureter. This has to be taken in, into consideration, and I will come to this a little bit later. We have different traces. We have traces which are not excreted by the kidney, so which could be used for the question, is there a locally uh, recurrent disease? Whereas you would, for example, use the gallium tracer if you have a question for lymph node metastases or systemic metastases. There's usually a 60-minute interval between the intravenous injection and the imaging study itself. And PSMA PET CT scan is always a combined imaging modality. So you have a native CT scan from the skull to, to your feet, and then you perform the PSMA PET scan, and then you fuse both images, and then you uh, can assess the, the presence or the absence of metastatic disease quite well. 
PSMA that needs to be known is not prostate cancer specific. So whenever you find PSMA positive foci in an anatomic localization, which would be very unusual for prostate cancer metastases, for example, in the spleen or the lung or the liver, it could be metastatic disease, but it must not be metastatic disease. So in those situations, we usually opt for a CT-guided biopsy to be really sure that this unusual deposit of PSMA avidity is due to metastatic disease. There is a physiological expression in the salivary glands. Um, it's uh, in the kidneys, the small intestine, the liver, and the spleen. And this is very important because nowadays we have a very, very good, let's say, um, TNM system for PSMA PET CT scans, and I will demonstrate this. And the PSMA, uh, PSMA activity in the salivary glands, in the liver, and in the spleen is the reference SUV value when we compare metastatic disease with regard to physiological activity, for example, of the organs. As you can see, PSMA ex is expressed in many other tumor types. For example, in renal cell carcinoma, PSMA PET-CT scan is a typical imaging modality nowadays in Europe because we know all clear cell carcinomas are PSMA positive, and you can even monitor response to systemic treatment by PSMA PET-CT scans. It has been shown to be positive in gastric and colorectal cancer and breast and in thyroid cancer, so it's not prostate cancer specific, and that's the reason why you have to really be sure that you treat a potential metastasis even at unusual sites, so take a biopsy if you are unsure what it is. This is just the image of a typical normal distribution of the gallium tracer of PSMA, so you see an intense activity in the kidney, and you see moderate activity in the salivary glands. You see a moderate activity in liver and spleen, usually in a proximal small bowel. And you can see already a moderate activity in the bladder, which makes it then very difficult to identify locally recurring disease if you use this type of gallium tracer, as I said, because it is excreted with the urine. When it comes to pitfalls, so you perform your PSMA PET CT scan, and then you identify these small nodules just close to the aorta, just a paraortic region, um, so lateral and medial to the aorta. It simply represents the cilia ganglia, which run along the sympathetic nerve chain. It's not metastatic disease. And what you can see from uh, this, uh, what you can see from this slide is that there is a distribution between the different types of the cilia ganglia. But as you can see from the lower bottom of the slide, that the SUV levels are very low. So they're usually not higher than four. And this gives you the indication this is probably not metastatic disease. It's just a physiological activity in the uh, sympathetic nerve chain in the ganglia. But this has to be taken into consideration. When you do a PET scan in patients who have high-risk disease, so you identify these small nodules then you need to be sure that this is not M1A disease, it's just a physiological activity of PSMA. And then also you can use different um, approaches, which can be seen here on this slide. Um, healing fractures, osteophytic um, arthritis, and osteoarthritis can be PSMA positive. So it's not metastatic disease in this situation. So and whenever you have this type of PSMA activity, you compare your PSMA scan with the native CT scan, 
if this um, PSMA active lesion is not visible on the CT scan, then most probably it's not metastatic disease. And you also have to combine these PSMA PET CT findings with a medical history of your patients. As I said, um, gallium tracer is the most commonly used tracer. We also use the uh, fluoride-labeled PSMA. It has a longer half-life. It gives you a better spatial solution. And this is one of those tracers which is not excreted by the kidney. So this would be the typical um, tracer we use if we would like to identify locally recurring disease in patients who have undergone radical prostatectomy. It is also a good tracer um, for detecting bone metastases because it has a specific accumulation in bone itself. And those are just a few examples. This is just a native CT scan. You might identify a small sclerotic lesion on the right um, hip, but this is better visualized with the PSMA PET CT scan, as you can see on this image. So if you identify a spot like this with a very high SUE level, you can be sure this is definitely metastatic disease. You don't have to take a biopsy, you know it's metastatic disease, and then you treat according to the stage of the patient and the previous, uh, for example, medical treatment. Now there are a couple of studies which have compared fluoride PSMA uh, versus gallium PSMA, and this is one of the studies we have performed, so just close to 700 patients who have undergone a typical PSMA PET scan with a gallium tracer, but there were a few patients in whom we did a repeat PSMA PET CT scan with a different tracer. And the reasons for this uh, repeating the PSMA PET scan was a completely negative PSMA PET despite high PSMA values, as you can see, the values were between 0.7 and 27, or patients had equivocal PSMA-positive spots close to the areas which could resemble disease, but which also could be just false positive due to the urinary excretion. And um, then we had patients who had a single suspicious lesion prior to metastases-directed treatment. And so we have this pyro, let's say the PSMA RETS classification for interpretation. We have uh, PSMA RETS 1 to 5, similar to the multiparametric MRI, which gives you a nice idea if a lesion might be benign, if a lesion is uh, um, typically malignant. And those are just a few of those targets, as you can see with the PSMA used using the gallium or using the fluoride, at least in patients who have these small spots close to the bladder, close to the urethra, and close to the ureter, this fluoride tracer is much better in detection, small volume metastatic disease, than the gallium tracer. And there has been another um, study just recently published demonstrating basically the same um, sensitivity and specificity and validity of the fluoride um, tracer. These are just 50 patients, but as you can see from the results of those patients, the PSMA uptake is significantly higher in patients who have locally recurrent lymph node and distant metastases. It is sometimes a little bit more equivocal for bone metastases, but there is a significantly better detection rate in patients, as I said, with uh, the suspicion of locally recurrent disease. And this is uh, the new, let's say, imaging standardized evaluation, the, the PSMA-TNMA classification, which could give you a very nice prescription on the localization of metastatic disease. So we have this uh, PSMA score, which runs from zero to three, and which gives you a very high probability of the presence of metastatic disease or non-metastatic disease. 
What we also can see is that you base your score system on the distribution of PSMA as compared to the physiological activity. So as we can see, um, it should be low if it's, uh, equal, if it's uh, similar to the liver. It uh, might be compared to the liver and the pyrite gland, and it might be also compared to the spleen. And this gives you the idea what you can see here. If we have, uh, we have a liver-dominant excretion in patients who are using the uh, fluoride marker, we have a kidney-dominant excretion with a gallium PSMA pad, and we also have this parotoid um, excretion with the gallium itself. <clears throat> and then you label all the different organ systems depending on the presence of PSMA activity. And once you have labeled those localizations, you can put it in a very nice system, which then will reflect the, locali the anatomic localization and the extent of the disease. So whenever we have PSMA activity in the prostate, for example, in locally recurrent disease after radiation treatment, we use this sextant segmentation of the prostate to have an idea where exactly this PSM, PSMA avid lesions are located, which also could give you a hint when you, for example, would like to offer um, focal treatment to your patients, when you would like to offer stereotactic radiation treatment for locally recurring disease after radiation therapy. When it comes to the bone, we also um, standardize our um, interpretation with regard to a unifocal lesion, an oligometastatic lesion, a systemic lesion, which gives you an idea about the treatment options you have local stereotactic radiation for unifocal lesions, systemic treatment for multifocal lesions. And then also when it comes to the lymph nodes and we think about salvage um, lymphadenectomy or salvage radiation treatment, we use this typical anatomic classification on the localization of the lymph nodes. So whenever you use this type of interpretation, you have those examples here. And then, for example, you have this patient. The primary staging would be an NIT3A. He has positive lymph nodes in the left obturator fossa, and he has no systemic metastatic disease. And so it's like a pathohistologic formula you can use for your PSMA PET scan. And then everybody knows exactly about what diagnostic finding you are talking when you have your PSMA PET scan performed and discuss treatment options in the interdisciplinary tumor board. And this is another example of a patient who has biochemical relapse after radical prostatectomy. And as you can see from the formula, you know this is only a patient who has retroperitoneal lymph node metastases, no evidence of PSMA avid lesions anywhere else. And then you might discuss the different types of treatments with your patients. So this was all for the introduction. Um, just to summarize, PSMA or gallium PSMA is the most commonly used tracer for prostate cancer imaging in high-risk disease and biochemical relapse in systemic disease. As I said, the PSMA expression increases with the biological aggressiveness of prostate cancer, but it is not prostate cancer specific. So as I already underlined, whenever you have a PSMA expression in an anatomic localization, which is not typical for a prostate cancer metastatic disease, please go ahead and ask your radiologist to perform a CT-guided biopsy of this lesion or just perform an ultrasound-guided biopsy by yourself it's, if it would be a pelvic lymph node, for example. 
There are some pitfalls with regard to false negative and false positive um, findings, which might be due to the tracer, but also due to the physiological activity, especially in the paraortic ganglia, um, they are, which are always positive. And as I said, PSMM PET CT scan can also uh, depict um, positive findings in, um, in uh, clinical situations where you have inflammatory disease or where you just have neovascularization due to some inflammatory disease. This was all from my side, just with regard to the introduction to give you a, a slight overview. What is PSMA? How can it be used? How you can standardize and, uh, and then just talk to your nuclear medicine guy to standardize the report of your PSMA PET CT scan so that you just have a quick look at um, the interpretation. You also give, give, should give you the size of the lymph node, for example, so that you have an idea about how it can be treated. And um, then, I guess, uh, treatment really can be individualized. It can be risk adapted by the use of a PSMA PET CT scan. That's all from my side. If you have any questions to this first just introduction, you're welcome to ask the questions. Um, and I'm open to take those questions at any time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, could you, I, I said in the beginning, could you use the microphone, please, because we are um, in a live stream, and so people only can hear you. I just have to activate it. Patients can only hear you once, uh, once you use the microphone. Mm? Thank you very much for your presentation. Nice presentation. So my question is, always we take about, uh, take SUV max. Is there any role of SUV uh, uh, min? or something like that. Again, I didn't get the SUV thing. max, when you, we interpret the PET scan, we take the value of SUV, standard uptake value of yes. max. We use the SUV, yes. Mm -hmm. SUV, is there any role of SUV mean? Um, it's not clear so far, but what we see is the higher the SUV, the more probable is the presence of metastatic disease or prostate cancer disease itself. So what we usually do in daily life when you have your PSMA activity and you have an SUV of maybe 2, 2.5, you compare it to the physiological activity in the kidney, the spleen, or the liver, and if it's the same kind of SUV level, then there is a very, very low probability that this PSMA AV lesion really is metastatic disease. So in this situation, we usually tend to wait a little bit more and to follow the patient to see if this small lesion is increasing in size or the number of lesions is increasing, especially in patients who have a very um, long PSA doubling time. If you have a very rapid PSA doubling time, we can discuss it later, and then we usually don't use a PSMA PET scan because we know patients are metastatic anyhow. No? But SUE plays a role, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, good. If there are no any questions, then I guess it's your um, task now, Jet, to give us an overview about PSMI PET scan as an initial staging tool in newly diagnosed high-risk disease. Uh, thanks, Axel. I'm, I'm smiling because I just made a very sophomoric move. I've been coming to the AUA, AUA for 30 years and forgot to download my slides. So that's why I was out and came back in. So I apologize for being late. I also want to recognize uh, Professor Heidenreich. Axel and I go way back. We actually worked together in the mid-90s at Walter Reed. Uh, Axel was a uh, young <clears throat> German uh, officer, army officer, 
and uh, he came to, to uh, Walter Reed to do research. And in those days, we were doing testicular cancer research, uh, and he did some fantastic work at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology with Professor Mistofi. I know some maybe the older, some of them were, I shouldn't say older, more senior folks in the room might remember Professor Mistofi and, and Dr. Sesterhan, <clears throat> who at the time was more of a junior, well, mid-career pathologist, she's still working there. And um, so, anyway, I just want to recognize uh, Axel, and we've been lifelong friends. Uh, of course, now, I hardly, I know you probably continue to do testicular cancer. Uh, sadly, I don't, I just do prostate now, so I don't get a chance to do any testicular cancer work. And let me make a disclosure. I am a clinician. Uh, I am not, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not an expert in, in this area. So I'm going to focus on how I, you know, this as a, as a pure clinician in the trenches every day dealing with prostate cancer. So these are my disclosures. And, you know, as I think it's an understatement to say imaging for prostate cancer is challenging. Uh, as we all know, conventional imaging is mainly based on size. Uh, early metastatic disease is small, enlarged lymph nodes can be benign, and evaluation of bony metastasis can sometimes be difficult. Routine FDG PET is not sensitive for prostate cancer, and so I think many of us were taught early on that you know, the standard back in the day FDG PET was quote unquote no good for prostate cancer and certainly in the United States it was never reimbursed. Of course it's having, I don't know if we're, we'll probably talk about it later, it's being emerging now in advanced disease in some cases when the patient has de-differentiated disease. Um, the clinical need is obviously great for accurate staging and so there's clearly a role for PET uh, imaging tracers. This slide simply shows the history, starting at, at least um, starting in 2012 with C11, and that was approved. The F18 FACBC, which is known as Axamin, um, and I don't know how many if this is if Axamin was actually approved in many other countries. I know for a while it was the most important one to be used in the United States. And then PSA, PSMA imaging, which is the, what this is course is about and what Axel just spoke about. Um, the, the 18F sodium fluoride was uh, touted to replace the bone scan at one time. And for those who work in the United States, you re may remember <clears throat> the Medicare program did a, um, a program where they were trying to see if this should replace bone scanning, and that study failed, and so this has fallen out of favor. Um, and then uh, the FDG PET is sometimes being used again for more aggressive disease. I think Axel probably already covered this. Why PSMA? Well, it's highly expressed in all stages of prostate cancer typically upregulated with aggressive androgen-insensitive metastatic and recurrent disease, expressed on the cell surface and not released into the circulation, and it's internalized after the antibody binding. Uh, these are the FDA-approved PSMA PET tracers, the uh, F18, uh, Polo, uh, the, basically the Polarify scan, which is what uh, I, this is my only experience uh, at Duke University using the first one, and then the G68 uh, gallium, uh, which is used at some institutions 
By show of hands, uh, how many people are using the Polarify scan? And how many people are using the uh, Gallium scan? So it's roughly 50-50 uh, in the audience. Uh, PSMA is a transmembrane glycoprotein uh, expressed in secretory cells within the prostate epithelium, highly expressed in prostate cancers, low expression in benign or hyperplastic tissue, low levels of expression in small bowel, proximal renal tubular, salivary glands, and, uh, and this just shows the uh, uh, cartoon of what the molecule looks like. If you remember back in the day, prostacin, and how many people in the room ever use prostacin? <clears throat> A number of people, and we, we actually used it, I remember when I was at Walter Reed, we, we did a study that, a couple of studies, and I mean, it, it wasn't terrible. We had, there were some, some situations where it seemed to help. For example, I remember we were trying to look to see if a prostacin scan could protect the success of either salvage or adjuvant radiation, and there was some success, although it was a small study. But again, the key teaching point is, you can see that's intracellular, and it was always a criticism about the, the, the prostacin because of uh, lack of sensitivity from the location of where it bound, and now the newer PET agents obviously are extracellular. Uh, these are the NCCN guidelines as of January of 2023. Uh, the NCCN endorses the use of these FDA-approved PSMA agents. Both are listed in the current guidelines. Um, PSMA PET-CT or PET-MRI can be an alternative to standard imaging of bone and soft tissue. And, uh, of course, there's the potential false positive. I think one of the key things that we face is that can you replace the bone scan and the CT with the PET imaging? And that still is controversial. And again, many discussions in, uh, for clinicians in the United States revolves in insurance companies and dealing with people who either refuse to cover the PET scan. The NCCN guidelines here you see, based on the risk group of prostate cancer, uh, intermediate risk group, uh, is the NCCN says if it's an unfavorable intermediate risk or higher, you can do the PET scanning. Certainly high risk and biochemical recurrence are a little bit less controversial. The ESMO and the Pan-Asian ESMO typically would still call for CT MRI plus bone scan or PET scanning in the unfavorable intermediate risk. And then the EAU guidelines uh, CT MRI plus bone scan, although this was, uh, is this still the case, Axel, as far as EAU? So they haven't changed. I didn't know if it might have been updated in the last month or two. So as far as I know, uh, these are the current guidelines, and I, I uh, want to thank David uh, Nanis, who presented this at GU ASCO just a couple of months ago. Again, just some of the NCCN guideline highlights. PSMA PET is recommended for initial staging in men with unfavorable intermediate high and very high risk prostate cancer. Um, because of the increased sensitivity and specificity of PSMA PET for detecting micrometastatic disease compared to conventional imaging at both initial staging and biochemical recurrence, the panel does not feel that conventional imaging is a necessary prerequisite to PSMA PET. And, and this is still, again, one of the sticking points in, in the U.S. at least as far as whether we can get these approved by insurance companies uh, without a bone scan in the CT. It's changing. 
Uh, and I was talking to a urologist this morning who is actually on the other side. He's retired and now works for a company who either thumbs up or thumbs down on these scans. And uh, he says, well, it's getting better. We're, we're every week to week, it's getting better. So as far as the ASCO prostate cancer imaging guidelines, uh, these were last updated in 2020. Uh, they talk about conventional imaging versus PSMA PET. Uh, again, not really anything uh, that's really different here, so I'll skip that. And then the Society of Nuclear Medicine, uh, certainly low risk and favorable intermediate risk. They say that the scans are rarely appropriate but appropriate for newly diagnosed unfavorable intermediate, high risk or very high risk, uh, and as we can see in this box. Uh, this is a, a nice meta-analysis, the performance of FDA-approved PET imaging agents in the detection of prostate cancer, and this was published actually fairly recently. Uh, nice pooled sensitivity, pooled specificity, pooled detection rate. Uh, and the key teaching point is that the PSMA PET scans, be it the gallium or the Polarify agent, all have better, better uh, accuracy than did the Aximin scan and the choline scan. And I think for me, this, this is um, one of the more important slides. And I'll give you an example of, uh, I, this, before I saw this slide, a couple months ago, I actually had a patient, because the Blue Earth Diagnostics guy who makes the Aximan scan had come to see me, and he's a nice guy, so I figured, well, you know, the next time I'll, I'll order an Aximan scan, throw the guy a bone and order an Aximan scan, and the nuclear medicine guy called me and said, we're not doing an Aximan scan anymore, so you either order a PSMA PET or you're going to, you know, he was pretty adamant that the Aximan scan, even though you know, I mean, for a year or two, that was all we had at our institution. Pretty much it died, and at least at, I don't know how it is at other places. Anybody in the room still using Aximin? Is it, it just out of curiosity, you're getting... Oh, that's okay. I'm just, curi I'm just curious, because like I said, I, there might be some specific, supposedly if you listen to the company, there might be some specific few indications and where I it could be And I think that helped. was, there was a question whether Aximan picked up uh, the recurrence with PSA under two versus over two. There was a line there. So we've kind of vacillated between both. Interesting. I, um, we can get into it in the discussion I, about that issue with regard to, you know, when you have a biochemical recurrence, where, where do you draw the line on its utility? But we'll save that for the panel. For the panel. Anyway, this box, red box, just shows that I think in 2023, really pretty much the PSMA agents have replaced certainly the Aximin scan. Um, I don't know, has any, also, has anybody in the last six months sent anyone to Mayo Clinic for the, the choline scan? Has anybody had any experience? Because for a while, we would have, before these PET scans became available, you know, if you had a wealthy person or someone who wanted to travel, we would occasionally get patients who insisted on a PET scan. And, uh, you know, we would send them from North Carolina out to the Mayo Clinic to get the, the C11 scan. But again, uh, 
And of course, Dr. Carnes is here. What, what's your, uh, you know, we can talk about that later, but um, I, again, based on this data, I'm not sure what's going on with the C11. So uh, this is also important, and I think probably Axel, Dr. Heinrich talked about this. Uh, this is a research article looking at the individual comparison of the gallium and the F18 uh, Polarify scans, a normal organ distribution. And I'll just give you the punchline. The punchline is, is the normal distribution is very similar. And my take on this is that if you are in a nuclear medicine department and you're a nuclear medicine physician and you have access to both of these agents, they're very similar in how they're read because the normal distribution, is, again, is so similar. And so I think that's a good thing in that, again, it's not like the nuclear medicine physician has to learn a completely different technique from reading the gallium versus the PSMA, at least that's my take on it. And this is just also from that paper showing various glands, uh, parotids, subbandiculars, liver, spleen, et cetera, pretty much showing that the uh, distribution and the intensity is very similar between these two agents. So this was a nice, again, uh, study comparing the two. Again, similar distribution is the key teaching point. Now, in the future, as other PSMA tracers come on the market, they may not necessarily have the same biodistribution. So time will tell. Right now, it, the, with the two FDA-approved agents, have similar distributions. Again, this is also from that paper. I think I'm going to skip this uh, for the sake of time. Again, biodistribution is similar in normal tissues between the gallium and the F18. Um, they have similar or superior sensitivity for a PSMA-positive detection same interpretation strategies, and both can be used to determine if patients qualify for the lutetium uh, theranostics agent. Again, just another example of normal activity. There's high activity in the renal cortex, urine, salivary, and lacrimal glands, and mild to moderate activity in the liver, spleen, and GI tract. Now, again, for the young urologists and, and folks who are having to certify for their board exams, I don't know if this is going to be something that's gonna be on the boards. In other words, our, will our urology trainees be expected to know this on the boards? Will they be getting cases like this and have to understand the normal distribution? If they do, this is the slide that they'll have to study before the exams. Then as far as um, uh, studies, this is um, one of the classics published in Lancet in 2020, uh, prostate-specific membrane antigen uh, PET-CT in patients with high-risk prostate cancer before curative intense surgery or radiotherapy. This was a prospective multi-center study you can see 302 high-risk prostate cancer patients, all were planned for curative intent. 152 were randomized to conventional image. 150 were randomized to PSMA PET. Um, you see the red PSMA PET, blue conventional image. I get, the key teaching point is that the PSMA PET beat the conventional images pretty much across the board as far as uh, AUC, specificity and sensitivity in, the, in various areas. Um, this is just 
also looking at management decisions that the PSMA PET uh, was superior to conventional imaging in, in their, the way they defined uh, their management effect on patient care. Then the second trial, the other classic, is the Osprey trial. This is Ken Pienta and colleagues. This was published in Jay Ural in 2021. It's a little bit more difficult to read. I apologize for that. But you can look at the, uh, the cohorts here. Um, and this shows the sensitivity, specificity, positive predictive value, and negative predictive value uh, Again, suggesting, I think, uh, probably the, these two papers really, uh, you know, nailed the point that it, it's better than conventional imaging. Uh, this, is, um, this is Dr. Heidenreich's study that was, pub that was presented, uh, and this is for gallium PSMA pent. This was for preoperative lymph node staging in high-risk prostate cancer. Again, I apologize. Did you already present this this now, or are you planning? You're probably planning Please, to present it. Uh, basically, it will be um, it will be uh, published in uh, in, uh, in the prostate. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this was a uh, uh, to assess the role of gallium PSMA PET to detect pelvic lymph node metastasis in newly diagnosed treatment naive high risk prostate cancer patients prior to radical prostatectomy and extended pelvic lymphadenectomy. And by the way. This is a lot of pressure to present this with the senior author sitting right next to me. I hope I don't screw it up, but I will say this. When I had a chance to visit Axel, uh, these guys do, you guys do a heck of an extended lymph node dissection. I will say that. So uh, he, him and his team are very excellent surgeons, so I feel this is a very good study. It was a retrospective single center study from 17 to 21, 165 high-risk prostate cancer patients. Uh, only patients who received um, the biopsies done at their department were included. So they were very uh, uh, careful to really look at their only the patients that they biopsied to have a higher probability that they were high-risk disease, again, with fusion biopsies. Uh, the gallium PSMA PET was done one week prior to radical prostatectomy and extended pelvic lymphadenectomy. Mean age was about 67 years. Interestingly, the mean age is a little bit higher than in, in, our, in our radical prostatectomy series at Duke. Our mean age is about 60. Uh, it's just interesting when you compare radical prostatectomy series around the, around the globe. Uh, and, but you see here their mean PSA was uh, 24.5 with a range of 6 to 185. So pretty high risk by PSA. Uh, the number of dissected lymph nodes on average per patient was about 21 and a half with 15 to 45, so a very respectable number there. And this is uh, the, the pretty much the, the findings. Uh, 68 of 165 patients uh, had positive nodes. So their positive node rate was uh, 41%, pretty high. Again, that's... Uh, probably higher than what we would, uh, what in the United States people say they do an extended lymphadenectomy. I'm not sure they do it as, as carefully as you guys did, but I don't think those, the rates are that, would that be that high? Maybe at the Mayo Clinic, but a lot of other places not. Again, 43 of 68, 63% had a positive signal in the PSMA PET. So, you know, about two-thirds. And in total, 3,564 lymph nodes were resected. Um, 
41, again, 41 patients were PT node positive uh, and 58 per, were node negative. Um, and then you can see uh, the 59 percent, 88 of 149 PSMA PET uh, CT were positive uh, with the nodes. The sensitivity was 40 percent, specificity was 94 per. 0.5%, positive predictive value 59%, negative predictive value 97%. The, the key takeaway take is that there's, certain, there's no question this beats conventional imaging, right? There's no question this beats conventional imaging. Is it perfect? No. But, uh, and, we, and again, I'll be interested to see what comments, if anyone has any comments on this. But again, this is a very well done study, modern PET, modern biopsy. Uh, showing what, what to expect when you do it this way. So the conclusions takeaway of, um, of Professor Heidenreich's study is that uh, this was superior to conventional imaging. I think everyone would agree to that. The positive activity correlates in 90% of patients with metastatic disease. Uh, when you, I guess when you, the message there is when you have a positive PET scan pre-op, you would always want to perform a, an expended pelvic lymph node dissection if it's positive. Uh, the negative activity in 21% of uh, false negative. Conventional imaging should, rep, uh, should be replaced by PSMA PET. Uh, superior detection rate of metastatic lymph nodes. Uh, lower cost, lower radiation exposure. So again, interestingly about cost is that the cost should be lower if we can certainly get rid of doing the CTs and the MRIs and, and bone scans. Here's um, just end on one or two cases. This is a 55-year-old newly diagnosed prostate cancer patient. He had a PIRADS-5 lesion in the right lateral peripheral zone at the apex with extra prosthetic extension. Estimated prostate cancer volume was 3.79 cc's possible invasion of the prostatic urethra, right neurovascular bundle, and, and right puborectalis, biopsy Gleason grade nine. So this would be a guy with locally advanced prostate cancer. Um, the key finding here, and I, I got these slides from Steve Rowe. Steve, uh, a special thanks to him. He's a nuclear medicine physician at Hopkins, although he's gonna be joining our faculty at Duke, and we're excited about that. Um, let's see. Click it. And you see there's a, a positive node. And so this is just, again, one example where uh, the initial, that, that staging helped to, uh, to manage the patient. So here's a 65-year-old with an increasing PSA at screening. Now it was 9.8. MRI showed PIRADS-4 lesion, the right posterior medial peripheral zone. Uh, but biopsy Gleason 3 plus 4 equals 7. So he actually, by the current guidelines, I guess would not qualify for PSMA PET because he's uh, favorable intermediate risk. He but he had this done and he had this lesion which was uh, equivocal. And the point about this one is that they did the PET scan for working up an equivocal lesion on the bone scan, and uh, he had intense activity in the prostate, but the uh, lesion uh, was negative, the PET scan lesion. So this was a case where 
it was used to work up a false positive bone scan. Mm -hmm. And just as an example of how, uh, again, it was favorable intermediate risk, but again, he had conventional imaging that was equivocal, so he qualified under that criteria. Again, primary prostate cancer right lobe, no pelvic adenopathy. It was a benign osseous lesion, no distant metastasis. He was only 55 years old. So again, in this case, you could argue it helped. Now, you could argue, well, we probably would have just assumed that, you know, he had solitary lesion, he's a young guy, would have done a radical prostatectomy anyway, um, but at least the patient was reassured, the team was reassured that he didn't have metastatic disease before he had surgery, so local therapy was proceeding. Um, this is something pretty cool, and I don't honestly know if this is being used yet, but it's using a, essentially like a PIRAD score for PSMA PET. Um, you guys, is, have you, is this something that you've seen used? Or are they using it at your yeah. institution? I, I just referred to it. Okay, sorry. Library. Yeah, so we are using it in daily routine, and also there is this kind of TNMA standardized classification. That's what we have introduced in our department about a, a year ago, and, and to really to standardize the nuclear medicine report and to have the same definition of the extent of the disease and localization of the disease as we would have for TNA staging. Is anybody, is by show of hands, uh, anyone in the audience know that, get this on any of your reports? So uh, we do not get this yet. This is not being done at our institution. Uh, but I think it's really interesting, and it's a, a certainly a takeoff on PIRADS for MRI. I won't, uh, you could take a picture of this slide if you want, but I won't belabor it. Axel already talked about it, but it's an interesting. And then this whole concept of using artificial intelligence to read these scans, certainly something that may play a role uh, in the near future. So again, summary on PSMA PET, uh, it's definitely superior to the FACBC Aximan. And uh, again, in the United States at least, I think Aximan has really kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, PSMA PET applications, certainly initial staging of, of unfavorable intermediate to high-risk patients. Uh, the gallium and the F18 agent are similar in interpretation, as we showed. And then uh, correlative CT findings are still important for PSMA PET. And thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are there any questions for Judd with regard to the use of PSMA, PSMA PET scan as an initial staging, for example? Yes, please. Are any of you changing your approach to the patient when, when you do an initial staging PSMA PET scan? Meaning, if you see just what looks like limited metastatic disease that maybe you wouldn't have picked up on conventional imaging, are you rethinking how you approach this patient? Like, how does it affect you on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. I, can, I can start, that's a great question. And I, um, so one of the, one, and this still comes up at our tumor board in the setting of a very, let's say you have a young, very young patient, healthy patient. <clears throat> Some, sometimes the concern is if you do a PSMA PET scan and you find something, you eliminate that man for consideration for surgery or radiation. And we go round and round um, and so to be truthful, there are patients that, you know, not every single patient in our institution gets a PSMA PET scan. And I will be honest, even though the guidelines say 
we should, can do it for unfavorable intermediate risk. I rarely order it for that indication simply because it's a hassle getting the insurance companies to prove it. And, uh, but on patients who have certainly very high risk, I will be inclined to do it. Uh, I, before we get to that question, maybe I can just ask Jeff. I mean, does this how does that ever come up at the Mayo Clinic, or or do you just march on with the surgery with a PSMA positive pet? So you know, when I did the initial uh, pet choline data that led to FDA approval for BCR, I did look at initial staging and felt that it changed. It 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 did pick up lesions much more readily than MRI, CT, bone scan. However, it changed management decisions like less than 5% of the time. And I, uh, we have patients that request PSMA as initial staging. I'm, I'm not a big advocate for it because of all of those reasons that you have said. And also I think it provides, if you have conventional imaging, all of our survival data is based on conventional imaging. And if you do have a biochemical recurrence or a biochemical persistence, then pet them and, and see where we are then because you have a, a patient who is radiographically free of disease with conventional imaging, which we've used for decades. So it's yeah. interesting, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm glad you said that because here I, I'm up, my task was to present this on high-risk disease, uh, and yet sometimes I'm afraid to order it, <laughs> even though the guidelines say we should well, That's correct, it. so it, it is always, that's one of the major criticisms I have for the pre-PSMA study, because they used the PSMA PET scan and then they changed their treatment from curative to palliative approach in about 20% of the patients based on the single PSMA lesion. And I guess that's not correct so far. All of our treatment, uh, all of our oncological outcome data in high-risk disease patients are based on conventional imaging. So I will come to this question a little bit on metastatic disease, but what we do in our situation is we only use a PSMA PET scan for initial imaging in this very high-risk prostate cancer patient. So let's say 10 of 10 biopsies with a Gleason score 9 mm -hmm. and a PSA of 50 to 60 and the clinical stage 2B at 3B disease, then we have a very high probability of metastatic disease. In this situation, we would switch treatment in so far that we start patients on neoadjuvant combined antihormonal therapy for six months, and then we check the PSMA PET scan after six months, and we check the PSA nadir. If both is positive, so you have a significant decrease in PSA to less than 1.0 nanograms per ml, and you have a significant reduction of PSM activity, patients undergo cytoreductive radical prostatectomy. And this is a concept we have published back two years ago. And with our very, very first pilot study back in 2015, which was the very first study on cytoreductive radical prostatectomy, and by this approach, using the PSA decline and the decrease in PSMA activity, we have a median overall survival with cytoreductive radical prostatectomy in se for 75 months. If you would start immediately and say, no, we just um, start with radical prostatectomy, you have a higher complication rate, you have a higher positive surgical margin rate, you have to add radiation treatment, and so the outcome is not as good. So just yeah. what Judd has uh, told you and Jeff has told you, if it's just, let's say, high-risk disease, but typical high-risk disease, one positive biopsy, MRI fusion biopsy, I wouldn't get the PSMI PET scan only in this very high-risk disease patients where you draw clinical conclusions from your new molecular imaging studies. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that. Like I said, I, and thanks for bringing that question up because 
that's exactly the way we practice. We, you know, in newly diagnosed patients, despite what I just said, we don't do it except if it's very high risk. And I love the approach of, you know, if you do it, I love this approach of possibly then, then uh, intensifying therapy up front and, you know, treating those patients. It's like neoadjuvant hormonal therapy, except now it's directed against, uh, you know, I feel a little more, more comfortable using neoadjuvant hormonal therapy than we did in the past when we were just doing it, in a, you know, without a the data. A bit like a litmus test. No. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sir. Regarding the staging, when you talk about staging, we talk about T, N, and M. So there is no argument against N and M staging by PSMA PET scan. What is the efficacy of T staging? Can it differentiate between T2 and T3A or something like that with the PET scan? It's a great question. Uh, I'll defer to my colleagues. I, I don't honestly know the answer to that. I, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't think it would be, it's certainly not part of the guidelines. Do you have any comments? Mm. We, uh, I can give you only a comment for patients who have locally recurrent disease after radiation treatment. There is a very good anatomical, let's say, spatial distribution to identify patients who have PT3B disease versus clinically organ-confined disease like a T2 disease, also in pathology. And there have been, there were a couple of presentations during this AUA where they have combined the multiparametric MRI with a PSMA PET scan to identify patients who have a risk of extracapsular disease. And at least the identification of seminal vesicle invasion is um, superior if you combine both PSMA PET scan and the MRI as compared to, let's say, the conventional imaging studies. That's all we can conclude so far. At least seminal vesicle invasion can be detected very, um, very sensitive with a PSMA PET scan. Because as a surgeon, when you're planning for nurse sparing surgery, you want to know whether there is extraprostatic extension is there or not, because those are the patients who are not fit for nurse sparing surgery. So I, yep. I don't think PSMA PET scan can tell us about this extraprostatic extension. No, in this situation, I guess the multiparametric MRI is better. If you use, you have these different risk um, classification tools and the nomograms, we're going from zero to five, which gives you a nice um, idea how um, probable is extraprostatic extension. And then that's what we use, and I guess also Jeff uses the MRI to identify those patients who have locally advanced disease and who still could be candidates for at least a unilateral nerve sparing approach. Mm -hmm. Great, thanks. So, okay, so thank you very much. So I guess we continue with the next um, basically interesting topic, biochemical relapse after radical prostatectomy the role of PSMA PET CT scan and then its implication for further treatment options in those patients. So only relevant disclosure is I gave a talk on my experience with the choline scan back in June 2021 to Lanthius prior to their launch of Polarify. So uh, certainly with the, the PET scan, it's ushered in a new era, as we've talked about of staging uh, initially as well as staging postoperatively or post-curative uh, uh, treatment. You can see here this hypogastric lymph node that was negative on conventional CT scan. So um, I think as a disclaimer, um, and I mentioned this, metastatic status and treatments have been determined historically by CT and bone scans. And to date, PSMA data really lacks prospective survival outcomes. Um, so I think we just keep that in mind. You know, this is, this is the overall and cost-specific mortality as it relates to the site of metastasis. And what we'll see here 
this is unconventional imaging. What we'll see here is this, these curves will completely shift uh, because of the earlier detection of PSMA lesions over CT and bone scan. In addition, what we've seen with the introduction of PSMA, all the different PSMAs, is that we, we detect um, you know, non-osseous metastasis a lot more readily than we have in the past, and especially the thoracic lesions uh, that we see a lot more with PSMA PET scans, predominantly because we never did CTs of the chest in the past. A lot of metastatic trials in the past were chest x-rays. So when you look at all this PSMA data, you see all these atypical distributions of metastatic disease. Um, so we'll talk about biochemical recurrence, or BCR, the performance characteristics of PSMA at biochemical recurrence, and implications of the PSMA scans. So as you know, recurrent prostate cancer is a challenging scenario, and it's a leading diagnosis. At least a third of men post-surgery or post-radiation will experience a biochemical recurrence. And obviously, we've dichotomized our prostate cancer diagnosis to a localized versus a metastatic, uh, but certainly uh, we have identified now an oligometastatic relapse or oligorecurrent that was probably not visible in conventional imaging. And we know that conventional imaging is uh, poor in terms of, of evaluating biochemical recurrence, whether it's a CT or a bone scan. So the EAU in, in 2022 uh, suggests uh, doing a PSMA if the PSA level is 0 0.2. Our official uh, definition of biochemical recurrence is 0.2, and if the results will influence subsequent treatment decisions. And I think that's an important caveat, the last one. If it's not going to influence us, you know, don't order it. Um, and if it's not available, the PSA level needs to be above one in which we could do a flucyclovine, which is Actiamin, or a, a C11-choline, or, or variation of choline. And I, I think the AUA just updated this a couple weeks ago, but it was not in time for me to put it on the slides. Um, but um, I think it will be endorsed uh, for PSA at 0.2 or greater. But uh, here in 2020, AUA said may utilize novel PET uh, scans in patients with PSA recurrence after local failure. What is the optimal BCR definition? Well, it's, you know, historically it's been PSA of 0.2 and a confirmatory PSA of 0.2 or greater. Uh, but certainly this is data that I put together some years ago of that perhaps a better definition of a more likely if we just continue to watch them, they'll go on to manifest systemic progression or metastasis as a PSA of 0 0.4. Uh, we're not alone in this. There are other institutions who have suggested 0 0.4 might be better. And certainly as we know, uh, with now salvage RT being the de facto standard in post-operative radiation rather than adjuvant radiation, uh, there appears to be really not a big difference in outcome at a 0 0.2 versus 0 0.4. But here is the mapping data, or at least the performance accuracy of uh, PSMA PET scans in the setting of BCR. This was a nice meta-analysis of our 30 studies that evaluated this. And you can see the likelihood of, of the PET being positive, regardless of the location, um, with the increasing PSA, which, is, which makes sense. The higher the PSA, uh, the more likely you are to detect lesions here. You can see at a PSA over 2, 95% chance detection of a lesion. PSA of uh, 0 to 0 0.2, about a third of cases. One thing that I always have my fellows or residents remember, there's a likelihood of about 50% of having a positive PSMA PET scan if the PSA is 0 0.5. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can just kind of look at the other uh, side of that. 
So, and, and this is a mapping study that looked at the location of the, le the metastatic lesions or the potentially local lesion prostate bed, uh, or if you consider pelvic nodes local uh, lesion of the PSA um, uh, ranges versus the proportion of PSMA uh, positive scans here. You can see that as the PSA goes up, more multiple metastasis are found compared to the lower PSA uh, where there's a small chance of finding uh, bone metastasis and uh, multiple regions of metastasis. What is the best candidate to, to do a PSMA PET scan? Well, certainly I don't think we need to be doing it on every man that has a PSA of 0 0.2, uh, but you know, as I mentioned, perhaps 0 0.4 could be a better one, but here's a nomogram uh, that I think could be uh, useful as we look at patients that are post-op with rising PSA. Here, the median PSA uh, was 0.8. It had a detection rate of 50%, and the uh, clinical parameters that led to the development of the nomogram were the grade, in the, the, which is really the biology of the tumor, which makes sense, the PSA, PSA doubling time, and the setting uh, were all independent predictors of a positive scan. Uh, ability to rightfully get a PSMA PET scan positive was about 82% using this nomogram. Um, and if we wait until the predicted probability is 20% or greater of having a positive PET scan, then our chances of a false negative goes down. Uh, so this is a nice study that was done at uh, UCLA. Um, it's a prospective study um, where uh, patients were their own control. So they each got a, a fluciclovine scan and a PSMA scan. They all had biochemical recurrence, um, and the biochemical recurrence here ranged from 0.2 to 2. They had no prior salvage therapy. This is all after a radical prostatectomy, so no, no noise with radiation patients. And they looked at the detection uh, rate of recurrence at a patient level and by anatomical site. And they, their statistical power was a sample size of 50. Um, so they screened 140 patients, had 50 enrolled in the study. Medium follow-up was eight months, so they didn't really follow for the outcome. But what they looked at is the detection rate of fluciclovine versus a PSMA. And you can see the detection rates were significantly lower with fluciclovine at 26% uh, than with a 50% or greater uh, PSMA scan with an odds ratio of almost five if a patient had a PSMA over fluciclovine. As Dr. Mole said, that essentially um, I think the chances of Actiumin, you know, staying on the market is pretty low uh, going forward uh, based on initial staging as well as recurrence. Uh, the main differences in sub-analysis uh, were seen in the pelvic node region with an 8% detection of fluciclovine versus a 30% detection uh, with PSMA as well as any extra uh, pelvic lesions. So in, in this nice perspective, you know, uh, patient, con patient, their own controls, uh, PSMA versus fluciclovine, the detection rates at a patient level and a regional level for pelvic nodes and extra pelvic lesions were more than twice as high uh, than those with fluciclovine by using a PSMA PET. Uh, in, in not unlike a lot of PET findings here, they could not validate uh, the lesions in terms of whether it was positive or not. And they just assumed they didn't have follow-up to see if they responded to any therapy. Uh, but here they did not do a performance accuracy. And you know, a lot of studies who have done a performance accuracy that you've seen, they didn't really have a gold standard histologic uh, verification or treatment verification that it, it did have an impact. Uh, nevertheless, so the results of this prospective head-to-head -head, uh, comparison, it certainly indicates that PSMA should be the pet tracer of choice when PET imaging is considered for subsequent treatment management decisions in patients with biochemical recurrence. 
and PSA is less than 2 and obviously greater than 0 0.2. So uh, this is uh, another uh, this is a, another study by UCLA uh, looking at the uh, mapping and monitoring of patients with BCR. Uh, this has a lot of this has therapeutic implications as you'll see here uh, where they looked at um, uh, 226 patients uh, this is a retrospective chart review and they looked at them who had biochemical recurrence or perhaps biochemical progression and they confirmed a prostate bed recurrence that described on PSMA. Um, I put MRI in here as a question mark because certainly I think when we're looking for a local recurrence perhaps an MRI or a PET MRI has a better performance than a PET scan uh, CT. Um, here the median time uh, was uh, 77 months between radical prostatectomy, biochemical recurrence, and getting a PET. And what they wanted to look at is the association of radiation clinical target volumes as it relates to the PSMA PET findings. So here's the disease distribution. 56% uh, had PSMA recurrence limited to the prostate bed, uh, which is, you know, roughly salvage radiation historically works about 60% of the time. Here, this makes some sense. About 56% of patients here actually had a PSMA recurrence limited to the prostate bed. You can see here about a 10% had it pelvic nodal disease, 10% had extra pelvic disease, and about 15% both pelvic nodal and extra pelvic disease. And what was interesting is if you look at the, the clinical target volumes with their salvage radiation and look at the prostate bed recurrences, you can see that the radiation targets completely covered it about half the time, and about a third of the time it only partially covered, and almost 10% of the time it didn't cover the lesion well enough at all. Um, so full coverage, uh, as you can imagine, was associated with a very small tumor volume, lack of rectal or bladder wall involvement, a lower TNM stage, again biology, but not necessarily the PSA level. So I would not be surprised that if PSMA PET scan becomes standard prior to the administration of any salvage radiation therapy um, in 2023 and going forward. So here's just an example of the green being the contour that the radiation oncologist draws out as part of their dosimetry for their salvage radiation. You can see here the PET lesions and only partially coverage of, of, of some of it, but, but figured to be complete uh, tumor coverage, especially if you look at that axial image. So uh, this is an, another study that looked at BCR and patients who were undergoing salvage radiation. Uh, this was done in, in uh, Australia. Uh, prospective study where they had the PSMA and they had the uh, salvage radiation therapy delivered to all the patients here. Uh, you can see the PSA inclusion was greater than 0 0.05 and less than 5, and there was no contraindications to salvage RT. The side of recurrence of all these patients undergoing uh, was um, a none and a third of patients. So at BCR, none of them had a lesion. FASA here you see pelvic nodes, distant nodes, bone metastasis, and visceral metastasis. And the PSMA PET results stratified by PSA level, as you can imagine, as the PSA went up, the chances of a PET positive lesion also went up uh, for these 260 men. So this was a, a little confusion to me because they were not blinded to the uh, PSMA PET scans, at least the uh, salvage radiation oncologist uh, delivering this, the salvage therapist. And you can see here that, um, you can see where salvage RT here was delivered to the FASA if the PSMA was negative, 
or if the fossa was positive, but also only to the fossa here uh, if the pelvic nodes were positive in 20%. So a little disconnect and, and maybe they just don't believe in metastasis-directed therapy and just want to treat the, the fossa here. So this table was a little confusing why they didn't target everything on the PSMA. But again, um, what you'll see here is progression-free survival uh, based on just the delivery of salvage radiation therapy uh, to uh, whatever was done. And you can see here that the patients who had the best progression-free survival at three years were those that had a negative PSMA PET, as you can imagine. And um, you can see their freedom from progression was 82% versus bone, which was a 20%. So again, and then the freedom from progression was 64%. Again, in line with a lot of the salvage radiation data in the past uh, of about 60% effectiveness of salvage radiation therapy. And this is just a logistic regression of the variables for prediction of uh, the progression-free survival, which was a negative FASA. And then the, the survival curves, the KM, just draw your attention to, to D, the freedom from progression. If they had a negative PSMA or just in the prostate FASA, they do a lot better with the receipt of salvage radiation therapy going forward versus those that have an extra FASA uh, lesion seen on PSMA. So the ERTC is, is, has called to integrate um, molecular imaging or, or modern PET imaging to facilitate trials for metastasis-directed therapy, which are still um, investigational. Um, and here um, we will see some more data of should we just do salvage radiation therapy or actually PET first. Here this was a uh, basically a retrospective study of 600 patients who all of them underwent salvage radiation therapy but about half underwent PSMA prior to salvage and half did not have a PSMA. And you can see here that the patients who got a PSMA do better in terms of biochemical progression-free survival. Here it's, it was not uh, prospective, it was not controlled, and here I imagine they performed a lot of extra FASA radiation in a, in a salvage fashion. Um, so you can see here with the conclusion, the patients who underwent a PSMA PET for restaging had significantly improved biochemical progression-free survival in comparison with patients who did not undergo this with a Havard ratio of almost twofold. So another study, this was the Empire study of a single phase uh, or a single center phase 2-3 randomized controlled trial. Patients detectable PSA after radical prostatectomy randomly assigned to conventional imaging. Here, this is not a PSMA scan, but it was randomized. This is actually action scan. Uh, but you can see here in this study that was published in Lancet in 2021 that the overall uh, salvage radiation decision was heavily influenced by the PSMA scan versus those that did not have a PSMA scan. Again, uh, I think, and here's the, uh, the three-year event-free survival of conventional imaging group versus those that have a fusiclovine PET scan. I think we could just transpose PSMA scan on here, and it would be just as good, if perhaps not a little bit better. And uh, the toxicity was the same for either, either arm here. So again, I think going forward, I think that a PSMA PET scan will be incorporated by a radiation oncologist or us that refer patients for potential salvage radiation prior to its receipt. So we'll now go into oligorecurrent or um, you know, metachronous uh, metastatic disease. Uh, we know that metastasis metastasize in prostate cancer and that there may be some uh, influence of addressing those metastases. Um, and actually the first 
actual real case report of a salvage lift node dissection, which you've seen thrown around at these meetings for the last few years, was actually in a colorectal case, colorectal cancer case. The patient had had a prostatectomy, had a biochemical recurrence, could not find it, could not find it, and the patient then developed a colon cancer. When they removed the colon within the uh, fascia of the colon, they found positive nodes for prostate cancer, and the patient's PSA went to undetectable level. So again, serendipity strikes in urology, as we've done a lot of things in the past. So um, there's a lot of uh, salvage series. I provide you mine because I, I know it well, um, and I'm the only one to blame here. Um, so, um, and I think that, it, you know, for this PSA level, there's probably not a whole lot of difference between choline and PSMA, but in this series of patients with biochemical recurrence, all had a radical prostatectomy, the original radical prostatectomy, almost about half, never had a lymph node dissection. Um, so it tells us that perhaps the importance of doing a node dissection. Mm -hmm. But about 50% had normal conventional imaging when I did their salvage node dissection. And I, my uh, um, median node retrieval was 22 um, at the time. And it did, in, and this is in the pelvis, but it did include extended pelvic nodes, even if there was an isolated node on the one side. Uh, so we have nice mapping, we have nice data of of related to even radiation oncologists that go to radiate and why it's maybe not realistic to just SBRT one node um, when there's some higher risk features because you're gonna miss other nodes. Um, but here's the data that uh, they remain biochemically free of disease in about a third of patients at five years. This continues to go down uh, with time. So we're really just sort of resetting the clock. We don't cure a lot of patients. Um, and here, it, RAR is radiographic free of disease and this is cancer-specific survival. There were about uh, 20 patients that had castration-resistant uh, disease here too, so sort of a little bit of a higher risk. But the, the main thing is for here, it's really the biology of why these patients recur. Uh, because the patients who originally had their, their T-stage and their Gleason grade at the prostatectomy are the ones that do the worst after salvage node dissection. And I don't think it's much our our staging, although I think there's a lot of understaging with PET and lymph nodes or even our surgery, but uh, the biology that drives outcome. So these are just the long-term outcomes that were put together multi-institutional that I think Axel contributed data here. Um, and you can see with time, the survival continues to go down. So not a real curative option, but certainly PET scan has driven oligorecurrent disease and it really has uh, you know, challenged us of what to do with it other than just give palliative ADT to these patients and make their life, uh, quality of life worse and, and probably not do anything to extend their life. Um, this was a nice uh, a case control study uh, that was done by uh, Stuber at Martini Clinic using some of my data. Um, and here they took standard of care biochemical recurrence after radical prostatectomy and post-operative radiation therapy. A lot of them just got ADT or intermittent, continuous, and then the MDT cohort, which was salvic pelvic nodes or pelvic nodal uh, SBRT, and we compared oncologic outcomes here. You can see here with intervention with MDT, uh, patients did, did a little bit better uh, with a statistically significant uh, hazard ratio of about 30. Um, and here, with we match patients, uh, you can see their cancer-specific survival and overall survival was better with intervention, again, either with a salvage node dissection or stereotactic radiation to nodes. 
So radiation therapy, they do have a couple uh, prospective uh, studies and a, uh, another prospective study that's based on conventional imaging called Sabre Comet. Uh, since this is about PSMA, we'll talk about PET scan. The first study uh, was done uh, by uh, Pete Ost in, in uh, Belgium, who uh, took patients who had three or fewer oligometastatic uh, sites uh, based on a choline PET and randomized to them to radiation or surgery um, or to active uh, clinical surveillance. And they did have reasons to start ADT uh, in, the, in the control arm or the active clinical surveillance arm. And this is the group, 35% actually in the surveillance had some PSA decline. So again, as I mentioned, a lot of times at that lower PSA, 0.2, 0.3, and it will not always sustain. Uh, that's, like, that's why I like to use a 0.4 at times. Uh, but still, even then, there are some cases that still will fluctuate. Um, patients that underwent directed therapy at 75% of PSA decline, you can see their biochemical recurrence, uh, free survival um, based on MDT versus surveillance. And the time to pellet of ADT, which I think is important. So the patients, you know, again, we might just be kicking the can down the road, but you know, certainly patients who are on ADT, if they can get another year or more without needing to be on it for metastatic disease, I think that's a benefit in and of itself. Uh, this is the uh, perspective uh, study done, uh, led by um, Johns Hopkins and Fu Tran, um, and the, the first author is now my radiation oncology colleague, Ryan Phillips at Mayo, um, and it was a randomized study of metastasis-directed therapy or a stereotactic ablative radiation to METs. The inclusion was one to three lesions on conventional imaging, but they did correlate it with their PSMA PET scan. Uh, and it just was not part of the inclusion criteria. But what they, they did find is that by treatment with the stereotactic radiation for oligometastatic prostate cancer, improved outcomes was enhanced by total consolidation of all the disease that was identified by a PSMA PET scan. And also as a side, they also found that if there was a uh, baseline, there was a higher immune response, and, and if patients had a tumor mutation status, they're more likely to benefit from the SABR. Uh, this, just, this was uh, actually taking the STOMP data that I just showed you based on choline and the oral trials and looking at them together, uh, and it showed that patients who have a, uh, a pathogenic somatic mutation, such as ATM, BRCA1, uh, BRCA2, uh, RB1 or P53 actually do better with the receipt of MDT than if they did not have one of those high-risk mutations. So uh, to conclude, I think uh, PET scanning uh, has changed how we actually tend to prostate cancer, especially in the BCR setting. Uh, PSMA is, I think, the imaging agent of choice, and there certainly is some rationale to augment our salvage radiation therapy. It certainly has fueled the growth of oligometastasis and oligorecurrent uh, prostate cancer with unique opportunities and continued investigation and long-term survival endpoints and metastasis-directed therapy. I thank you for your attention. Happy to mm -hmm. take questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are there any questions from the audience to Dr. Carnes? Yeah. yeah, first question is, given the high positive predictive value. Um, if you've documented recurrence with PSMA, is there any need for histologic sampling before salvage therapy? So are you referring to more of the, like a bed or, um, you know, someplace else in the... Either local yeah. or metastatic. So, I, you know, I think if, I, I'm, the reason why I ask that question is I think sometimes an MRI or a PET MRI can be a little bit better 
for the local or the prostate bed. I think if you have a lymph node in the pelvis in the typical chain, I don't think you need histologic confirmation. Mm -hmm. If nothing's in the pelvis and you have a groin lymph node that's PSMA, I would biopsy that. Um, and if you have somebody who has a bone lesion that, you know, on the CT correlate doesn't really have something that you see, I think that should raise some awareness and potentially biopsy. But I don't, um, a majority of patients anymore, I do not biopsy to confirm uh, an oligo-recurrent disease. Okay, and the second question is, I know several of your programs have busy focal therapy programs. Mm -hmm. Um, any initial feedback on using uh, PSMA for, you know, in-gland treatment planning for focal therapy? Yeah, great question. Um, so we, we tend, we have done it in treatment naive um, and radiation recurrent prostate cancer in terms of focal therapy. Um, there has been some work in uh, locally uh, doing MRI, PSMA MRIs and using that uh, to look for maybe some other lesion that, you know, doesn't correlate with the mapping biopsy, um, but that's that's been about that's been about it, but unpublished to my knowledge. Yeah, yes. There seems to be a lot of attention on genomic classifiers um, for early intervention, early salvage, and now I'm even hearing the term early early salvage, even less than 0.1 with deciphers or oncotypes and things. Sure. Does that factor into your practice, or is this truly like? your one camp or the other letting the PSA trend to that 0 0.2 or even 0 0.4, which may make you nervous, make patients nervous versus intervention where you're not sure a PSMA is even gonna show up and you are forced to do early salvage. So great questions. Uh, um, I ha I'm one of the investigators in the Decipher, so just so you know, um, and have received royalties in the past. So, um, but don't anymore, so it's expired. Um, so, you know, I think that um, there are cases that could potentially benefit, especially we talked to radiation oncologists, for earlier receipt of salvage radiation. Here, I define it as early or early, early as less than 0.2 or adjuvant. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, based on the three randomized trials now of, of salvage uh, versus adjuvant, salvage is clearly a winner. Um, I know that I personally don't use it, but I have radiation oncologists that will use it to determine whether they want to, you know, basically pull the trigger early or wait till even something might even show up on MRI. But, but great question. I, I did a study of MRI post-op, and patients who did the best in terms of receipt of salvage radiation uh, were those that actually had an equivocal or suspicious lesions on the MRI. Uh, versus those that did not. So if you did not have a lesion on the MRI, you didn't do very well with salvage radiation. Jeff, and, can I just make a, yeah. uh, just to follow up on your excellent question, and you know, Jeff's group has done a lot of great work on uh, benign PSA, uh, you know, the paper that you published and then the Amling paper, meaning that there are quite a few men who have that low level PSA after radical prostatectomy who actually have PSA coming from benign tissue that was left in situ. And I think all surgeons say that doesn't happen, but you know, you know, it's a lot from the Mayo Clinic. We've looked at this in our Duke series. We've looked at it when I was at Walter Reed in the AFIP uh, whole mount series. And so just to follow up on that one paper that you presented, you know, that some of those patients were got salvage radiation for a PSA way lower than 0.2 
the results look really good, but my guess is that was diluted out because some of those patients did not have cancer. So radiation also ablates benign prostate tissue, right? Right. Yeah. Right. It's a, um, but just to and also a final comment on the decipher. Um, we we're, we haven't published this yet, but we have about 500 radical prostatectomies who had decipher, and when you have this low-level PSA, uh, a la, you know, the Mayo Clinic work on the PSA of 0.4 or less, combined with a low decipher score, I think the key teaching point we've learned is really hold off on salvage radiation because that just may be a benign situation. I guess to clarify, does that influence if the PSA initially goes undetectable three months, six months, and then you have a true biochemical recurrence versus a persistence at a very low rate, probably two different things then? I mean, most of the patients with benign PSA did still went to undetectable and then have a, a slow, what I call a smoldering rise. And sometimes I've had cases in my own practice where it's gone as high as 0.6 and then come down again. And so I think the ten, I, I think I'm, I'm all about early salvage in patients who really need it, but I just would preach caution because there are at least some of those patients who have a benign PSA situation where you might be over-treating them with radiotherapy. Mm. So I, I think, you know, to, to address your question uh, further, you know, I think a, a PSMA that's negative provides some predictive value in terms of, um, or FOSA-only lesion, um, but it also provides um, a nice map if there would be a nodal recurrence, you know, at a, at a low PSA, you know, typically there's going to be a Gleason 9, but, you know, if you have a negative FOSA, um, and you have a smoldering PSA, you have a low decipher, that might be something I com completely would watch. Um, yeah. Okay, so then we have uh, so, just one so and, and two additional topics, which uh, also go for PSMI PET scan and the management of locally recurrent prostate cancer after radiation treatment. I don't know how the situation is in the United States, but those are data which have been published in 2014 reflecting the typical standard of care in Europe for patients who have locally recurrent disease after radiation treatment. And as you see, majority of patients are treated with systemic therapy, so androgen deprivation therapy, which is at least in my opinion not the correct treatment to treat locally recurrent disease with systemic treatment. So what I would like to do is just a very, very brief overview about the uh, role of salvage radical prostatectomy and then why and when and how to perform the PSMA PET scan. I can, for, sa for sake of time, we can skip those slides. So just personal experience, how do I select patients? Now we have done more than 300 radical salvage prostatectomies and we always rely on a PSMA PET CT scan. The PSMI PET CT scan must be negative with regard to systemic metastatic disease. So whenever we see a retroperitoneal node, there is no need for radical salvage prostatectomy, except patient have significant local symptoms. We also try to exclude extraprostatic extension by the combination of PSMI PET scan and the multiparametric MRI. And those are the two key points of imaging procedures to identify those candidates who might be best candidates for radical salvage prostatectomy. And these are just a few results of a couple of patients who have been treated. As you can see, 
the five-year overall survival is in the range of 90%. And those patients who have organ-confined disease, no lymph nodes, no uh, positive surgical margins, have a, a biochemical relapse-free survival at five years of about 75%. So those are the candidates for radical salvage prostatectomy, and those are the ones who should be treated. What we also have shown is that the presence of lymph node metastases is a predictor of, all, of early relapse following salvage prostatectomy. And this is local lymph node involvement in the small pelvis. And you can see it from this Kaplan-Meier curve, if patients have a positive lymph nodes at time of radical prostatectomy, the median time for biochemical relapse is only in the range of less than two years, whereas those patients who have no positive lymph nodes, all based on the, uh, um, on the extended version of the pelvic lymphadenectomy, have a biochemical relapse-free survival of more than five years. So we have done this um, just a comparative study using MRI and PSMA PET scan in a cohort of 101 patients uh, or 113 patients who have undergone radical salvage prostatectomy. And all of those patients have undergone the multiparametric MRI and the PSMA PET scan prior to surgery in order to identify both presence of extraprostatic extension and potentially presence of local regional lymph node metastases. As you can see, this is the typical scenario of patients who might be candidates for a salvage prostatectomy nowadays. You have a low PSA level. You have uh, usually a short time between um, end of radiation treatment and biochemical relapse, and the majority of patients had organ-confined disease. This is just a typical um, a finding of the MRI, depending on the type of radiation treatment you either have local recurrent disease in field, so where the original tumor was, if patients undergo external beam radiation or IMRT, if patients have undergone um, low-dose uh, low uh, low brachytherapy or high-dose brachytherapy, you usually find those metastatic spots around the, um, the peripheral zone or in the seminal vesicles. Those are just a few examples of patients who have been diagnosed with a PSMA PET scan, and you can identify the intraprostatic um, distribution of those uh, still active uh, prostate cancer um, areas, and we also are able to identify those patients who have PT3B disease. So down the line, you see the uh, correct local and local regional staging based on the type of imaging study. As you can identify, the, um, the differentiation of patients who might have organ-confined disease versus locally advanced disease is uh, doing well with both of those studies. The combination has basically a 100% accuracy, but we still have a very, very low predictive value with regard to the identification of intrapelvic lymph nodes. So this is a drawback still of those studies. When we look at the sensitivity and specificity of the MRI and the PSI PET scan to predict local, uh, locally advanced disease or positive lymph nodes, as I said, we have quite a good um, sensitivity and specificity and also positive and negative predictive values 
and with regard to the accuracy to identify locally advanced disease is in the range of 75 to 80 percent but the detection of lymph nodes is still um, at a very low level we use, so we cannot rely on the PSMA PET scan so we still perform a lot of those surgeries in patients who have microscopic lymph node disease and who really do not benefit from this type of uh, surgery what we do nowadays is we use a new contrast dye an iron uh, um, contrast dye during the multiparametric MRI which has a much higher sensitivity to identify small pelvic lymph nodes we are just running a prospective trial on those patients to see if we can better identify the patients who will benefit from this type of surgery or not. So in conclusion, we use PSMA PET scan in patients who might be candidates for local um, salvage um, radical prostatectomy and radiorecurrent prostate cancer. And it's a higher accuracy of both methods to identify patients who have intraprostatic local relapse. And nowadays, we even don't perform a biopsy anymore in those patients. We know we have 100% accuracy to identify intraprostatic lesions. So patients are just go to surgery and they don't need to undergo, um, they don't need to undergo another biopsy. And there's an interesting uh, presentation at one of the podium sessions by the Munich group. They even use this approach, positive MRI with a Pirates 4 and 5 lesion, positive PSMA PET scan in primary diagnosed prostate cancer. Patients undergo radical prostatectomy without any biopsy with 100% accuracy to identify patient with clinical significant disease. So that might be one thing developing in the future. Um, we also can use, and this is one of the questions which uh, popped up in the discussion, we also could use the PSMA PET scan to identify the intraprostatic area of locally recurrent disease in order to not run radical salvage prostatectomy but do a focal therapy in those patients. Focal therapy could be any type of ablative treatment or even stereotactic radiation therapy, even high-dose radiation treatment or low-dose radiation treatment um, if you can identify the lesion quite well. And this is one of those studies, small study, only 36 patients, but all of those patients um, did um, undergo then local treatment based on the findings of the MRI and a PSMA PET-CT scan. So as this study shows, um, the median PSA is in the range of five, so similar to the patient cohort we treated with radical salvage prostatectomy. The PSA doubling time was not low, not slow, but it was just in between with more than one year. And um, about 36 of those patients po potentially had an isolated recurrence inside the prostate. And as you can see from the bottom line, the majority of patients could be detected with the PSMA PET scan alone, and then they could undergo local treatment based on this PSMA PET scan by any type of focal treatment or by um, redo radiation therapy. There is another study looking at the sensitivity and specificity, also the positive and negative predictive value of, of the intraprostatic local recurrent disease in order to identify the best radiation volume in those patients who might be candidates for a redo radiation therapy. And as you can see, positive and negative predictive values are in the range of about 80%. So we can use a PSMA PET-CT scan 
to identify patients who have intraprostatic locally recurrent disease and who might be managed by second-line radiation treatment or focal ablative therapy. And we also can identify those patients who have locally advanced disease, like a PT3B disease, who might be better managed with radical salvage prostatectomy. So this is nowadays the role for the PSMA PET scan in the diagnostic workup of patients who have locally radiorecurrent disease and who might be candidates then, as I said, for salvage surgery or for salvage radiation therapy. And this is um, what we use in our tumor boards. So we use a PSMA PET scan. We don't use the biopsy anymore. And just depending on the findings of the PET scan, we decide which type of local treatment might be best for the patient. Um, and then we can make our treatment decision based on those findings. And this is, I guess, the modern approach to patients who have locally radiorecurrent disease. That's all for this issue. It's a small, but I guess still a very important uh, issue for our patients, because as I said, in Europe, most of those patients receive androgen deprivation treatment, which at least in my view is not the best treatment for patients who only have locally recurrent disease. So far, everything for radiorecurrent disease. Do you have any, any questions for this? Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. I, I noticed on your study that the um, average, the mean age was about 61, 62 yep. years old. Does that mean a lot of your patients are getting primary radiation therapy in their 50s versus getting a radical prostatectomy at that age? Do you find that common in, in Germany? It's, it's not common in Germany, but, but it, it's not common in Germany. So, for example, our policy in the tumor board is the younger the patient is, the more he is a better candidate for surgery than for radiation treatment based on his long life expectancy, the risk to, uh, to experience the long-term toxicity, the intraprostatic recurrence, and the second neoplasms. But we have a couple of those radiation, uh, basically radiation institutions who are in favor to uh, perform a brachytherapy in those patients. So that's the, the reality. It's, it's just so these patients come from all over Germany, so it's more biased than a strategy in this situation. No? Um, you have to Axel so um, just as while we're reading that question so the um, it's interesting I don't know in the United States from a medical legal standpoint if I would be comfortable doing a salvage prostatectomy without tissue diagnosis I mean I love the I think you're right I think the concept is solid but I'm just wondering uh, Jeff sure. you would what is your would would could would it be legally acceptable in the United States to do a prostatectomy without a tissue yeah. diagnosis? That's a good question. I've always biopsied them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can so tell you, I don't have a lot of experience with yeah. PSMA, um, like mm -hmm. I have with choline, but choline, I would say with avidity, that yeah. was maybe half and half, you know, mm -hmm. could be cancer, mm -hmm. could be inflammation. Yeah. But with PSMA, in the yeah. beginning, we always did biopsy the patients just for this legal issue. And then after like 60 or 70 patients, we had this 100% accuracy. So the only clinical situation where I, where I take a biopsy now, if you have a very, very low SUV level and you don't know if it's inflammatory disease, if it's uh, just activated necrotic disease, then we always take a biopsy. But if you have this, this very, very PSMA avid lesion in the prostate itself, and it also um, correlates with the um, finding in the multiparametric MRI, we don't do it anymore. We talk to the patient definitely that we wouldn't eliminate the biopsy in our workup process. And if he agrees, then it's okay. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and your 350 cases and probably more now is a pretty impressive series. I mean, I don't know that many places, I don't know any place in the United States that has that salvage experience. Um, as a follow-up question, what is your experience with salvage after HIFU? Uh, is it more difficult, easier? Any thoughts? It's, um, we have about about 30, 30 patients um, in whom we performed salvage prostatectomy after HIFU. It's not easier than with any type of radiation treatment. So it's it depends on the type of HIFU. So we have a call, we have three or four patients who had local recurrent disease after Tulsa Pro, so after the transurethral HIFU, it's very easy to do a salvage prostatectomy on those. You don't see any difference. You couldn't do a nerve sparing, yes, you could do with a primary radical prostatectomy. But those patients who have the transrectal HIFU, there is a, a strong um, fibrotic space between the rectum and the prostate. And so you don't see any difference from brachytherapy, for example. It's as difficult as with any type of radiation treatment. What is, when you counsel a patient for a salvage prostatectomy in your hands, what do you what do you tell them that the risk of rectal injury is? Yeah, so in our series, the, the risk of rectal injury is 1.2%. So that's what I tell them. It might be a little bit increased if patients have undergone HDR brachytherapy because you have the brachytherapy and the external beam radiation. Um, but in, in the whole series of this, uh, let's say now more than 400 patients, we only had five patients with a rectal injury. So the, the risk is extremely low. Mm -hmm. And this might be, I mean, it, it's not, I guess, it's not because we are better surgeons or whatever, but it's, I guess, because we do a lot of those complicated surgeries. For example, the post-chemotherapy RPLND, as you mentioned, only in this year, in 2023, we did 45 RPLNDs until yesterday. So it's, it's a large cohort of patients, and this gives you a feeling about the tissue and about the tissue boundaries and everything, and this makes then probably also the salvage prostatectomy a little bit easier because you have a feeling for the tissue. Mm -hmm. So the, the question we had in the chat was, how do we reassure the risk-averse patient with CKD4 who needs a PSMA PET scan that uh, we will not affect renal function? Okay. Mm -hmm. if, uh, so it's, if it's only the PSMA PET scan, for example, I would use the Flowrite as the tracer because we know it's not um, excreted by the kidney. And I would not use the gallium, for example, because it's excreted by the kidney. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, we have uh, 15 minutes left. Um, I would like to continue, if you would like to me to continue, or I don't know if you have more questions, we also can, uh, can discuss questions. The last part would be indication of a PSMA PET-CT scan in the management of prostate cancer with systemic metastases. I don't know how many of you deliver systemic, I mean, de besides androgen deprivation therapy, but how many of you deliver second-line hormonal therapy or chemotherapy or PSMA-based treatment? This is typical in Germany. It's the purpose of the urologist. So we do deliver the chemotherapy. We do deliver immunotherapy. Um, it's, it's, it's just a urologist work. I don't know how the situation is, is in your country. And this is then basically the indication for this, uh, for this talk to give you a little bit of an indication when you could use PSMA PET scan for clinical implications. And I, I guess I will run through a couple of those um, slides. One thing I, I always teach my residents and also the urologist, retroperitoneal lymph nodes, it's not lymphatic disease it's metasystemic metastatic disease. So even patients with M1A 
could be patients who might be candidates for chemotherapy, for PSMA lutetium therapy, and everything else. So this is just what you have to keep in mind. And M1A starts above the, um, the aortic bifurcation. So any lymph nodes, even in the area of the inferior mesenteric artery, would be M1A disease and should be treated like M1A disease. This, I guess, we, we just skipped this uh, current classification of prostate cancer. We have a lot of new um, treatment options, triple therapy with darolutamide or the PS1 study combining ADT, arviratron, and docetaxel, which is a common protocol we use in our outpatient clinic nowadays. But we have to remember, as Jeff already pointed out and also Judd already pointed out, all those risk classifications and all treatment options are based on serial imaging techniques or not on a PSMA PET scan. So if we have this gentleman here who presented to our outpatient clinic, he clearly has locally advanced disease. He underwent the typical imaging studies in this situation, which would be a CT scan of the chest, the abdomen, and the bone scan. And I don't know how many of you typically use a chest CT in, in those patients. You might find lung metastases in 8 to 10% of the patients. And this is why we start with a chest CT scan also. So this patient has um, lymph node disease. He has uh, bone metastases. So he is at high risk. He has CT3, CN1, CM1A, and B. The question is, should we add a PSMA PET scan? Or is this information sufficient? At least this is a question we receive quite often from referring urologists. Why, why don't you do a PSMA PET scan? He might have more metastatic disease. But does it have clinical implications? That's what you have to ask yourself. So if we detect some more lymph nodes on a PSMA PET scan or some more bone metastases, has it really an impact on daily uh, routine? Usually not. If you use apalutamide, if you use a triple therapy, it's indicated for the old comma situation. So if he has one or two or three um, additional metastases, it doesn't really matter. But in Germany, we have this. Everybody needs a PET scan, and it can be ordered by all urologists. So there is really an overuse of PSMA PET scan. What we usually do if we have findings like this, so a PSMA PET scan was ordered in a patient who already has systemic disease, and you always have the question, should we take into consideration the number of metastatic spots on a PSMA PET scan to identify patients who have high risk or high volume disease, which might change the treatment, so early delivery of chemotherapy, for example. So what we usually look at is, is a patient who has osseous metastases, can those um, metastases are measured? Can those metastases be identified by the nuclear medicine guys already on the native CT scan? If this is the case, then we would take into consideration the PSMA AVID lesion for our decision-making process about systemic treatment. If we don't see anything on the native CT scan, for example, we would not take into consideration those lymph nodes for further treatment. And that's what I said, depending on the clinical judgment, the uh, MHSPC with multiple, multiple meds on a PSMA PET scan still might be classified as low risk or low volume, depending on the issue if you can see those lymph nodes on your native CT scan. The PSMA addition trial is just one of the new trials which takes PSMA lutetium in the early first-line treatment of patients who have been diagnosed with MHSPC 
Um, the study is close to be finished. We have contributed a couple of patients and probably next year we have the first results of this study. Last but not least, um, castration-resistant disease. Always take into consideration the definition. When you have a PSA rise in patients on ADT, always, always measure serum testosterone. And then you have the two definitions of biochemical progression or radiological progression. And then once patients have undergone the typical imaging studies, so chest CT scans, abdominal CT scans, and a bone scan, then you just have a look other metastases or other no metastases. If patients with CRPC have no metastases, then you just have a look at the PSA doubling time. If the PSA doubling time is above 10 months, you just follow the patient. There is no need to start treatment, and there is no need to start a PSMA PET CT scan. We know from earlier trials, those patients rising PSA with a slow PSA doubling time have a probability to remain without visible metastatic disease for the next two or three years in a range of about two-thirds. You just can wait. If there is a rapid PSA doubling time, we have the three um, medications which are proved based on prospective randomized trials. So you just add EPA, DAWA, or ensalutamide if the patient is still naive for those second-line treatments. Those are the data, the Spartan trial, the Aramis trial, uh, which have been shown that with this early approach of medication, you can delay, delay the time until the development of metastatic disease. It's in the range of about 40 months before patients develop metastatic disease. But the question is, should those patients with a rapid PSA doubling time receive a PSMA PET scan if typical conventional imaging is negative? In my view, there is no need for it because it will not change your treatment. And this is uh, just this study which has been presented at the AOA a couple of years ago. Those patients who had been treated in the Spartan trial did undergo a PSMI PET CT scan and you see what you expect. All patients who have this rapid PSA doubling time will have microscopic metastatic disease. Why should they have this rapid PSA doubling time without metastatic disease? So you can order your PSMA PET scan, but it will not change your treatment because you know it's then micrometastatic disease. You have to add second-line hormonal therapy, maybe chemotherapy. So again, only use a PSMA PET scan if you draw clinical conclusions from your imaging studies. Otherwise, it will be a long, unnecessary discussion with your patient what to do in this situation. And last but not least, I would just uh, give you some ideas about the um, use of the PSMA lutetium. So PSMA PET scan as the imaging study of choice to identify patients who either can receive, for example, carbocetaxel or PSMA lutetium. And there is one study, it's the vision trial and the therapy trial, and this is just the very few slides I would like to show you. The therapy trial was the first trial published about four, or presented about four years ago at GeoASCO, the first time, and then published in Lancet uh, two years ago. It was a prospective randomized trial to, in patients who had castration-resistant um, prostate cancer with metastatic disease. They received either carbocetaxel or PSMA lutetium with the primary endpoint of just biochemical progression-free survival. 
And what you can see in this situation, there is a significant benefit of this radioligand approach. So using the Terranostics of the PSMA, the diagnosis and the therapeutic implication. We also did see that there is a major benefit in terms of PSA decline in patients who have undergone uh, the PSMA lutetium therapy. And most importantly to our patients, the risk of grade three or four toxicity was significantly lower with PSMA lutetium. So nowadays in our hands, when we have patients with metastatic castration resistant disease who have been treated with all the typical um, um, systemic therapies, including docetaxel, we only have cabocetaxel or we have PSMA lutetium, we base our decision on the results of a PSMA PET CT scan. There are some um, issues you have to consider. Patients who have liver metastases do not respond very well to PSMA lutetium. Patients who have osteolytic bone disease also do not respond very well. Those might be patients for carbacetaxel or radium-223. So very, very few issues you have to take into consideration. And then last but not least, we have the VISION trial, which had been published and which has led to the approval of Fluvicto in the management of our patients. It was a prospective randomized trial, and the only drawback of this trial, which makes me a little bit, I mean, not very convinced is if you look protocol permitted SUC, all patients had metastatic castration resistant disease, all patients had received docetaxel. So just from the current guidelines on from evidence level one, those are candidates for cabocetaxel or if patients have mutations in BRCA1 or 2, they would have been candidates for Olaparib. Both of those treatments were not allowed as standard of care. Hmm. So you have a patient who has been on abiraterone, you could switch him to ENSA, knowing a response rate of 20%. Patients who had been on ENSA could be switched to abiraterone, knowing a response rate of less than 10%. This is standard of care in this situation. So if you then deliver an optimal treatment and compare to a suboptimal treatment, the result must be positive, it couldn't be negative. So that's the only drawback of this study. So the primary endpoint was overall survival. It was reached. The endpoint of improved radiographic progression-free survival was also reached. And so this is the current situation where PSMA um, lutetium treatment has been approved by FDA and also by the European communities. What we do nowadays, when we have this situation, there is a patient who has undergone all treatment lines, including docetaxel. We run the PSMA. And then we run the mutational analysis with regard to a large panel of HRD genes, including the, the TSO500 panel, including 480 different druggable mutations. And then we make, our cons uh, um, we make our decision if the patient would be somebody for targeted treatment, for carbacetaxel, or for PSMA lutetium. But those slides are just for you so that you can include this information in multidisciplinary tumor boards. And I guess I, I thank you for your attention and um, I'm open for any questions, but I also would like to thank you for just staying with us for the last two hours. And I hope that all three of us could deliver some important information you can take home and then maybe use in your multidisciplinary tumor boards or in, for your individual um, treatment decision pro making uh, processes for your individual patients. Thank you very much. Hmm? Yeah, sure.